You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson. There's no question Detroit has a rich history, from the economic and environmental resources provided by the Detroit River to the first paved road in the United States to Motown and, of course, the largest municipal bankruptcy. All of these events are documented, along with many other lesser-known points in the city's history, in a new book by our next guest, Paul Vachon. The book is called Detroit, an Illustrated Timeline, and Paul Vachon joins us now on Detroit Today. Paul, welcome to the show. Welcome. Oh. (laughs) I I I do feel welcome. I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Jake. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So, uh, again, I want to reiterate the point. We just spoke with the the two folks who just planted the most recent uh, vineyard here in Detroit, and I thought, again, it was just so interesting to hear about how uh, Cadillac actually planted a vineyard when he came to Detroit the, the first time. And, you know, Cadillac is such, obviously, a pivotal figure in Detroit's history. It seems like a fitting place to start uh, here in this conversation. Um, you know, talk about his role and also why he chose this location. Why are we here in the first place? Well, um, the reason f- uh, that Cadillac chose this location is uh, he was uh, he was commissioned by uh, Louis XIV and his uh, marine minister, Count Pontchartrain, to um, locate a military outpost in this area to keep the British at bay. Uh, And the reason was the fur trade at the time was quite lucrative, and the French certainly wanted their their piece of that business. Uh, When they came down the Detroit, uh, well, Lake Lake Huron, the St. Clair River, and Lake St. Clair, and then the Detroit River, um, the day before they actually established the city, they sailed past this area, and they looked up on a bluff right around where Hart Plaza is right now, and they saw some uh, animals that were predators up there. So they thought, well, maybe this isn't a good spot. So they, that's, that's a fair reaction, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they went down, and they actually spent the night on Grosseal. They camped there. But then when they went a little further downstream, they saw that there were too many islands, and that would be a, an obstruction division and would be uh, militarily be disadvantageous. So they turned around and went back to the, where the, day, the place they were the day before, and they noticed it had a high ground. It was a high, at a high elevation. There were no obstructing islands, of course, other than Belle Isle. So they decided on, uh, on establishing their, their outpost uh, right here where we are today. And, of course, the Detroit River is so essential essential to you know who we are as a city, what it's meant to our history. Talk a little bit about um, you know th- that aspect of the book, because that is something that you talk about near the beginning of the book, is what the Detroit River itself means for the city, both in its founding and all the way up till today. Mm-hmm. Well, it's always interesting that almost all major cities in the world, with only a few exceptions, are located on some kind of a waterway. Mm-hmm. And Detroit's um, r- uh, river has always been a very, very major uh, commercial hub. And that's one, uh, or I should say commercial highway, if you will. And that's one attribute of Detroit history that is really almost unchanged from from when the city was very first founded. And it continues to this day. I mean, obviously much of it now is automotive related, but you also have other industries as well, too. Uh, there were always cement silos on the East Riverfront until recently. Uh, they've moved. But uh, but the river is, uh, it's, it's essential not only for commerce, but also for recreation. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we have the beautiful river walk right now and other, uh, parks and things like that around the river, there's just something about water that 
um, people find attractive. And so while it, it serves a commercial purpose, it serves a leisure purpose, and uh, it's, uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful civic asset to have. So one of the things when I was looking through your book uh, earlier, I was thinking to myself, um, I was thinking about the first auto show and, and what you write about that. It blew me away that the date of the first auto show is in 1899. I mean, right. this is pretty much from the very beginning of that technology in a lot of ways. Detroit was having some form of auto show, although this was very different from the very auto show different. that we know today. Yes, it was. Um, at the time, um, autos, because they were so new, it really wasn't quite... Um, ascertained by society as to what the role of the auto was going to be. And one of the first ideas about the usefulness of the auto was uh, as um, uh, a vehicle to aid in um, for hunters and for other sportsmen. Right. And that very first auto show, the, uh, the cars were displayed along with uh, a display of uh, fishing and hunting gear. <laughs> that was the primary focus of that exhibition. Right. And sort of a tool for recreation as opposed to the other way around. Precisely, yeah. yeah. Transportation for the masses um, via the auto was really not an established <laughs> norm at that point. That's so interesting to me. And, I mean, you even have pictures from the early auto show, or at least the, the earlier auto shows, too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just interesting to me that, you know, the evolution of that show, how it went from that, it's just a, a few cars, it seems like, amongst fishing and hunting equipment to what we know now today. How did it sort of, uh, is there a straight line between that auto show and what we know today, or is it sort of jagged and sort of curving, if you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> I would say... Um, a steady incline, let's sure. put it that way. Um, the the early years of the auto industry, um, most of the very early automakers, they saw it as something novel and something that they wanted to put their best effort into. And that's why the very earliest automakers were concentrated or, or intent on producing luxury goods, mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, luxury vehicles. Packard is a good example. Um, and that changed when Henry Ford came along. And he wanted to democratize uh, automotive transportation. And he thought of building a car moderately priced for the masses, too. And then, of course, later with his $5 day wage, he took that idea further and actually um, made it so his employees who were building the cars could themselves afford to, uh, to, to buy them. And that, that had long-ranging social implications, too. But uh, the, the in, it was really the incline really started with, with Henry Ford because prior to that, uh, the role of the auto in society was, was different and, and very minimal. Couple similarities that mm -hmm. I that jumped out at me to from that very early auto show to the to the one we know today. For one thing, um, you know, I kept coming back to like the Jeep ex exhibition or the exhibit for Jeep. Sometimes you do see the hunting and camping equipment still today, <laughs> but also that they, you know, uh, I think half or almost half of the cars were electric. And now we talk mm -hmm. about, oh, look, we're for the first time ever the auto show is is de 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 debuting so many uh, electric cars. It's like, mm -hmm. well, if you look at the proportions the the percentage is actually it's, it's more like that in the beginning yeah it's it's microscopic but right. uh, but it, it, <laughs> if i could just back up to something you said a moment ago sure. about how uh, this the uh, the the sport aspect of cars although it's not the sole focus has not gone away 
Um, my wife and I had uh, tickets to Broadway, season tickets to Broadway in Detroit this mm. past year. And most of the shows, of course, were at the Fisher Theater. And one of the things that they have at the Fisher Theater now is they have Jeep has an exhibit there in the lobby. And during prior to the show and during the intermission, there's actually uh, a representative from Jeep there to answer questions. So uh, that's not the kind of place you'd expect to see something like that. But it just shows you just how... Uh, how widespread the the influence of of autos and and now sport utility vehicles and so forth has um, has progressed. Sure, you're listening to Detroit today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm talking with Paul Vachon, author of the book Detroit: An Illustrated Timeline, which looks at many of the very pivotal moments in Detroit's history with wonderful illustrations and pictures along the way. Um, and you know, one thing we only have a couple minutes left, Paul, but I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about the 1943 riot here in Detroit. You know, 19 67 has gotten a lot of attention yes. recently for good reason. Um, but there were, you know, 24 years earlier, there was, uh, in, in all ways, kind of accepted a full on race riot here in mm-hmm. the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about that and, and sort of, um, you know, what, what's important for us to keep in mind from 43 here in, 19, in uh, 2019? Well, the, the 1943 insurrection and riot was the result of. Um, a lot of stress that was built up in the community because of the breakneck pace of war wartime production. Mm-hmm. And that uh, was um, a constant pressure on both white and black Detroiters. Uh, at the time, race relations were very poor. Sometimes we say today they're poor. They were a lot worse then, certainly. Um, there was uh, rumors of black-on-white violence on Belle Isle mm-hmm. um, the evening that, that the, the riot began, and that triggered uh, crowds of both races to physically fight each other, mostly in the Woodward Quarter, but also in the old Black Bottom area. Uh, it was, um, it was f- different from 67 in that it was not... 67 was more the disenfranchised in the community, mostly African-American, against what they perceived as a very racist white police force. In 43, it was more just just black on white. There was little looting or arson. It was just fighting, basically. Mm -hmm. There were some cars set on fire. And and not as many people killed, but many, many people physically injured. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, hundreds. Well, um, Paul Vachon, the book is is incredible. It it has so many events throughout Detroit's history. I wish we could talk more about them today, Mm -hmm. but we'll we'll have to have you back to talk a little bit more about Detroit's history soon. Paul Vachon is the author of Detroit, an illustrated timeline. You actually have uh, some signings coming up if you want to talk a little bit about that. I I do. I have uh, signings at several area Costco locations uh, throughout July. Mm-hmm. If you go to my website, which is Paul Vachon Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S dot com, and I have an event calendar on there that shows um, where all my all my events are going to be. I'm also going to be at the uh, Ann Arbor District Library on August 6th as well, too, in the evening to do a, a presentation and a, and, a, and a signing. Great. Well, thank you again, Paul Vachon, for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. All right. That's all for Detroit Today. Tune in Monday for a conversation about the financial implications of living in Detroit. How affordable is it? And can you make it here in Detroit? This is WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. He'll be back on Monday. Thanks for listening to Detroit Today.